As we depart the celebration of, of Christmas for some of us, some of us still have maybe some gatherings. Um, we have, uh, I think, one tonight still that we're going to be heading to. But as the celebration of Christmas and the gatherings pass and as we approach New Year's, uh, it's always special this time of year, this week in between, that we reflect and we also look forward. It's something we're accustomed to, something we do. And one of the things that I want to encourage us this new year is, is with a prayer. Uh, and, and it's simply the heart of John the Baptist here. He, he says in verse 30 of the text we're going to look at this morning that he must increase and I must decrease. And, and I would ask, could that not be maybe our prayer as we enter 2016? That Jesus would increase and that me, myself, that I would decrease. And there's a lot of things that we could maybe fill in the blank of what do we want to increase and, and what do we want to see decrease this year. Uh, some of us might say, well, my weight has increased this past year. I want to see it decrease this coming year. Okay, But that's, that's not what I want to talk about this morning. Um, I want to go to the heart and really say, okay, well, Lord, could these things increase and these things decrease? And so to do that, what I would like to do, just a few things this morning. One, um, do some Bible study. Let's look at the context here because I think we see the heart of John in this text. And then at the close, look at just four quick points to walk away with this morning and say, Lord, this is our prayer. This is our prayer. This is our desire this new year. And so look at John chapter 3, what Matt just read for us. Jesus has grown up pretty quick here in the text. In verse 22 through 24, listen to what is written about um, the scene in Judea. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And then John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. Uh, For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Uh, As we just jump into this uh, periscope that we have here, this, this testimony of John here, what, what we have is Jesus, he has been in Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and he has been talking to Nicodemus. We see that in John 3. He's been talking about the new birth, about being born again. And then we have this scene in the countryside of Judea where you have Jesus along with his followers baptizing, and then you have John also in the same area with lots of water baptizing as well, which John was doing. Um, Now, if we think about Jesus, Jesus' ministry has begun. Um, John's is still continuing. John is still preaching, still uh, ministering, still baptizing. Uh, That will come to conclusion when he is in prison by Herod Antipas, but that hadn't happened yet. But here is Jesus. He's out in the countryside. He's with his followers, but it's unique here. Jesus is actually not the one doing the baptizing. If you look at uh, John chapter 4, verse 2, it specifically says that. That Jesus wasn't actually doing the baptizing, but, but his followers were. He hadn't commissioned his disciples yet, so we're not real sure who the disciples that are baptizing are. But, but this is the scene. Uh, you got Jesus and his followers baptizing. You've got John baptizing um, as, as well. And so it, it bids to ask, well, what's going on? 
Um, well, think about it for a second. John the Baptist, uh, if you go back to Luke chapter 1, uh, most likely through the Christmas season, as you've read, maybe through uh, the incarnation of Christ and the scenes with the shepherd and obviously the Magi and the happening with, with Joseph and Mary and everything, most likely you've stumbled across also Luke 1, which you have Zacharias, where remember he's in the temple. And the Lord comes to him there and tells him that he is going to have a son. And you remember Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're old, right? And uh, Elizabeth is barren. She cannot have any kids. But the Lord comes and says, you're going to have a son. Listen to this in Luke 1, 14 about this son. It says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And so there's repentance, right? And so when you think of John the Baptist, this is who it's talking about here. That's what he came to do, right? To turn many of Israel back to God. And then it says, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him. Uh, him here is Jesus, the Messiah. And it is John who will go before him in the spirit, it says here, in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so this was God's plan for John the Baptist, that, that he would go and be the forerunner, the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is, was his destiny up until the point where he would be imprisoned by Herod Antipas. And so what would John do with his life? Uh, he would preach the message, if we remember back in Matthew 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so people would respond by confessing their sins and by repentance. And that would be expressed through baptism. And that's what John would do out in the countryside where there was lots of water. He would baptize those who came confessing sin and who wanted to live righteously. And they would be symbolized by this baptism. This baptism probably uh, wasn't specifically Christian baptism as we know it today, but something very similar. And so this would happen there in the countryside expressing repentance. And so that's what John came to do. He came to be the forerunner, to prepare the path and the way for Jesus Christ. And so here you have this picture. Jesus is now on the scene. Jesus is now ministering. Jesus is now also having followers who are baptizing in the same way that John is. And John is there with his disciples. And so you have this scene, and then that kind of sets the scene for what's going to happen. Look at verse 25. Therefore, as a result of what was going on, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. Um, and so there's this discussion that happens about ceremonial cleanings, the Jewish law, the Old Testament, and purification in regards to baptism that's taking place. Uh, but that's not the only thing that's happening. Look at verse 26. It says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who, <clears throat> excuse me, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And so now the question is also, who is this one who, who is baptizing? Um, and, and, and the point of this, the undercurrent of all this is, is jealousy, right? 
Um, here's John and his disciples. They're baptizing, and yet now they've got some rivalry here. Jesus and his disciples, his disciples are baptizing. And so there's a little envy stirred up here, some jealousy among John's disciples, uh, which is common, right? Uh, sometimes with ministries and churches, with leaders sometimes, that, that where pride can creep in, some jealousy can come, and that was present. And then look at verse 27. It says to us, John answered and said this in response. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. And so John responds with pointing to what? To the sovereignty of God. And basically he's saying, hey, what, what Jesus is doing, what his disciples are doing, this is all of God's doing. This is part of God's plan. This is what God has destined to happen. And so he points to the sovereignty of God and saying that God is permitting this, God is directing this here in the countryside, this scene that's happening, it's all God's doing. And then look at verse 28 through 29, he continues and says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, and so this is John talking to his disciples, that I said, I am not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. And then in verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. That's a beautiful text. It's a beautiful heart that we see in John the Baptist, isn't it? John the Baptist in response says, hey, listen, I am not the Christ. It's not about me. It's about him, and I came to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I've said that all along, John says. He's the bridegroom, the Messiah. Jesus is the bridegroom. Who's the bride right here that he refers to? Um, it, it's not the church. The church was not a known entity at this point. And so we, we, we don't want to think about the church in that regard at this point. But most likely it's Israel. And that the Messiah was coming to his people, to Israel, to gather them to himself, to call them to repentance. And the friend, obviously, is John himself. And he is filled with joy at hearing Jesus' voice. Now think about that. Think about how amazing that is. He, you think about John's life, even all the way back to the womb, when he was in the womb of Elizabeth. You remember what happened when Mary came to Elizabeth and, and greeted her? And what happened? John leaped in Elizabeth's womb at the voice of Mary. And then you have here John saying, at the voice of Jesus, of hearing Jesus preach and proclaim the kingdom of God, and, and now his ministry is beginning, John says, my joy is full. How amazing is that? That from the womb to now 30-something years into life, here is John, man, just enwrapped and fully engaged in the reality of his destiny. And here it's, it's being fulfilled, it's being completed, that he is the preparer, that he is the forerunner who come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and it's happening, and his joy is complete. And is that now what happens when we live out the will of God and we live for his ways and his plans? And that's what happened with John. His joy is full, it's complete, because he's fulfilling his role faithfully in preparing the way for the Messiah. And then he says in verse 30, the phrase I want us to really just walk away with today is he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John models the greatest 
of all humility right here. That Jesus, obviously he's talking about ministry here, but what we see behind uh, this practical side of things, that Jesus' ministry obviously must increase, John's must decrease, eventually go away, and his uh, role be completed. Uh, John will eventually be, be martyred and killed. Um, <clears throat> but what we see here is a heart of humility. No selfish, ambitious impulses in him whatsoever. They've been pushed out and gone. As his desire is to align with the will of God. Now I was thinking this week, um, I, got, I got interrupted in my study and my writing this week by my youngest daughter. And so um, some of the kiddos in here today, you'll, you'll get jazzed about this. So, so Eliana <clears throat> comes up to me while I was writing and she says, Daddy, she says, I want to go to headquarters. I go, you you want to go to headquarters? Yes, uh, I want to go to headquarters. And so just, just come on, think with me for a little bit. If, if you're adults in here, you might be confused a little bit. You might be thinking, what in the world? What kind of deal are you running? Um, <laughs> but, um, but she comes up. I mean, just, just as serious as all, she just taps me on the, the, the leg and says, Daddy, I, I want to go to headquarters. And I'm like, okay, all right. You want to go to headquarters. So she was referring to headquarters in, in the movie Inside Out, right? You with me on that? Headquarters, it's big time, right? And so where all the emotions hang out, Joy and her crew. And so, in fact, Joy, do we have Joy with us this morning? Do we have Joy besides John the Baptist? Okay, Joy. So there she is. Does that kind of ring some bells now? All right. I, I love, by the way, I, I really like this movie. It's, uh, I think it's, it's just way too cool. But there's this, what, what's happened in, in Eliana's mind, I think stirred on by her three older ones here, is that there's a street not too far from us called Headquarters, and so we're driving the other day, and I, I'm not sure which one. Grace, was it you? Grace, Grace said, look, headquarters. And so Ellie is like, what? I want to go there, you know? <laughs> and so she's it's just swarming in her mind. And, and I can't tell you how many times during that day she kept saying, I want to go to headquarters. And so when she came to me the other morning and said, I want to go to headquarters, she was meaning I want to go where joy and the rest of the emotions are hanging out. And one of the things, it just got me thinking, I, was, I mean, it literally was in the middle of, of looking at this, and, it, and it, just, it just got me thinking of, hmm, I love this character. Because if, if, you, if you watch that movie, her, she has a mission, right? She has a mission. And, and, and she is there to promote Riley, Right? She's, she's there to promote Riley and to make sure Riley has all the happiness and joy that she can have in all of her life, every different facet. And so I love Joy. Joy kind of has that spirit of, you know, she must increase, but I, I must decrease. It's, it's kind of, you have that, this humility kind of of doing everything possible. And I love the movie because she fulfills her role that she is there for. And so Eliana wants to go to headquarters. <laughs> Um, but this morning, I, I want us to do this. Back to the text real quick, all right? Um, think about that phrase. He must increase, but I must decrease. Because that's what John did. Prepared the way for Jesus. He fulfilled his role, pointing people to the Messiah. His goal was to promote Jesus. And, and that was happening. That was happening. And this year, this new year, what if that was our heart's desire? 
What, what if our heart's desire was that he must increase in, in my life and in every facet, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. More of him and less of me. What if that was our, our prayer? And what if it was maybe in these four different areas? So, so think about this with me. The first prayer is this, okay? And then we'll, we'll wrap up and, and go home, all right? First prayer is this. God, increase our love, increase my love for you. Just real simple. Increase my love for you and decrease my love for lesser things. Lord, increase my prayer, or excuse me, increase my love for you and decrease my love for lesser things, for idols. Exodus 20, verse three, what does it tell us? That we should have no other gods before God himself. And so what are those lesser things that, that maybe have grabbed and robbed us of affection that should be for God alone? And, and what are those things that maybe we need to say, okay, Lord, decrease my affection for those things, my love for those things, and increase my affection for you. So that we would truly like do, like Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. So that he would have our affection truly and so may God help us return to our first love, as it says in Revelation 2-4, with a great passion this new year. And so I believe one of the great disciplines that we have, the Lord's given us to help us increase in our love for him and decrease in our love for lesser things, the things of this, this world that we wouldn't fall trapped to, to those, those things and to love those things more than him. He's given us the word of God, right? I think the more we taste and see the Lord's goodness in his word, what happens? We have a greater appetite, a greater affection stirred inside for him. And so maybe, maybe we've lacked a little bit. I, I know sometimes this time of year, sometimes devotions increase with Advent and stuff. But sometimes they also get, that time, those times get robbed with busyness, right? People in and, and it just can happen. And so that we would say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be disciplined as I moved into the new year and, and really be in your word and, and make a plan. Because the whole goal, Lord, is, is that my love for you would increase and my love for lesser things would decrease. Second, God, increase our trust, right? God, increase our trust in you and in your promises. Grow our faith. Increase our faith. And at the same time, Lord, decrease any temptation to not trust you or to doubt you. So grow my faith. Grow my faith. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. See, if we, if we don't trust in the Lord, then what happens? Circumstances dictate our lives. If, if we're merely just about perception, what happens a lot of times is circumstances end up dictating our action. So may whatever we do with everything it takes, may this new year we truly walk by faith and not by sight. May that be our prayer. So God, increase our trust in you and your promises. Third thing is this, and I think this one's huge. At nine o'clock, we had our teaching time with, with uh, those who are serving and, and watching preschool children during this hour, and, and, and we really talked about this one. This one, this one I think, is so significant. Um, Lord, increase our understanding of the reality of the resurrection. And, and I'll tell you why, 
why I think this is huge. So Lord, increase our understanding of the reality of the resurrection and decrease our fear of death. Because those two things are connected. Think about this. The, the more we grow in understanding of the resurrection, what happens? Fear dissipates. It dissipates. If we believe in the gospel, if we believe in what Christ says, if we believe in what the Apostle Paul says about the resurrection, and that he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, you remember what he says? He asks the question, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And he tells us in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what happened in the death of Jesus Christ, death died. And those who have been united with Christ by faith, um, something happens, right? We no longer will face death in the sense of eternal death in, in hell. We'll face physical death, but we no longer have to be afraid of death. Why? Because death has been swallowed up in victory. Our destiny is eternal life to live with him forever. And so if that fear is gone, if the fear of death is gone, then what else do you and I have to be afraid of? Anything? Nothing. And so that's why this is so significant because I think when we fully grasp the resurrection and the hope that comes from that, and then when the fear of death is gone, we have no reason to be afraid of anything else. The thing is, if this doesn't happen, if we don't grow and increase in the knowledge and the understanding of the resurrection and how it impacts our life practically, what happens is fear will rule. Because if we're afraid of, of death, if we're afraid, it will impact every area of our life. From how we deal with relationships, to how we deal with different circumstances through the day, how we respond, this pack impacts everything. And so as we live more in the freedom of the resurrection that we have, we're not as fearful. We're not as anxious. And so Romans 8 tells us those who have the spirit of God living in them, you have the same power of the resurrection living in us so that we can be alive and live and walk in the freedom of God and not be afraid of anything. So I think that one's huge. Lastly, number four. God, would you increase our passion to make Jesus known? Increase our passion to make Jesus known. Decrease our desire to promote ourselves. So increase our passion to make Jesus known and decrease our desire to promote ourselves. Um, so if our passion doesn't grow, what happens is our witness for Jesus gets impacted a few ways. One, we're hesitant to talk about him. Two, we're timid. And three, our witness can be non-existent. If our passion to make him known doesn't increase. See, we'll be ashamed, right? We'll be ashamed. But Paul says, I'm unashamed, Romans 1, 16. I'm unashamed of the power, or, or I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of salvation. It can change lives. Over the next two Sundays at the beginning of the year, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look um, 
at our vision compass of what we've called it over the, for the next two years. And it, it's summed up in one word, eyewitness. And you see it there at the front of your bulletin. It says eyewitness. You might be saying, well, what in the world is that? And, and it speaks to, to just our heart for the church over the next two years that we would fully engage, grasp, jump into with everything we have of what Jesus calls us to be. And he says in Acts 1.8, I've empowered you for something. Not to merely get up in the morning and be like leaves in the backyard that fly around aimlessly, right? That's not what he's empowered us to be. But I've empowered you to live purposely and be my witnesses. That's what he's called us to be. Just like John the Baptist, he called John the Baptist to be his witness, to be his forerunner, to be his preparer of the path, to point people to him and to repentance. And you and I are no different. We've been destined for the same, to be the witnesses of Christ. And so may our witness, our passion to make Jesus known, may that just increase this year. May it increase. And so what if that was, that was our prayer? What, what if we prayed just those things this year, those four things? With the overall thought, Lord, you've got, to decre- you've got to increase, I've got to decrease. And we simply prayed, Lord, may my love for you increase. Lord, may my faith and trust in you, may it increase. Lord, may my understanding of the gospel and the beauty of the resurrection and what that means for me now and forever, may that increase. And Lord, may my passion to make your name and your renown known through my life, may that just increase. What if we prayed like that as a church and as a people? One, I I think that's a prayer God wants to answer. I think he wants to answer that prayer. And so let's be faithful. Let's pray that way that we may live that way. So as we close today, may it be so. May it be so. May we say amen. Yes, Lord, that's what I want. You may be here today and maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you don't truly understand the gospel and the resurrection and and how it can change your life. And and I want you to know today that, um, real simply, it, it can. God has made a way. We talked about it on Christmas Eve, an uncommon way. He sent his son out of great love for all of us that we may have life, not doom and and punishment, that his desire was mercy and grace to show us so that he could be known by us, that we could have a relationship with him. And so that's why he sent Jesus. He sent him to die on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. That's why he came. He took those sins upon himself on the cross He became those sins in that moment. He died a death to cover those sins, to pay for those sins once and for all. And his death is sufficient for everyone if they would just simply trust, the Bible says, to believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. They will be saved. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, I can't think of just a better way to enter 2016 than to know that you're a child of God. 
So if you've never trusted in Christ today, I pray that in this moment, you would maybe say a simple prayer and just say, Lord, I confess that I have done things that go against your ways and your wills. I've, I've sinned. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would forgive me and I base that prayer of forgiveness on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe in his death. I believe in what he did for me. And I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life and I want to live for you. And I, I believe a simple prayer like that of belief. Um, and the Lord says, you will be saved. You will be saved. And so, Believe in him today. If, if you're there today and you're like, hey, I'm gonna trust in the Lord today. That's how I'm gonna enter 2016. You betcha. Then, man, we'd love to hear about that and, and let us know after the service. And maybe you wanna talk some more about that. We would love to come alongside you and explain more of that. And so I pray if, if that's where you're at this morning, take that step. Trust in Christ this morning. For the rest of us, let's pray like John prayed and lived and have that kind of heart. He must increase, I must decrease. Let's pray.